Let's pray. Lord Almighty, 168 hours a week, we are pulled away from that which is beautiful. And You bring us back and we drift. You bring us back and we drift. God, our Father, as we come before Your Word right now, I pray that You would be magnified above all things. Because You are sovereign and therefore we can pray to You because You can answer us. And You are good. There is no shadow of turning within Thee. God the Son, we come to hear Your voice tonight. We come to You to bow the knees to the King of kings and the President of presidents. God the Spirit, we ask that You would join us here. We ask that You would refresh us and build into us and give us courage and hope. Because Lord, we cannot find that anywhere else. God, as we turn to Your Word tonight and we turn away from emails and gropings, we turn to the great God who is pure and mighty. We turn to the great God whose Word is the only thing in which we can find anything worthwhile. Turn our hearts to You and bless us so that we will be a blessing. In Jesus' name, Amen. The most important thing to happen in 2016 is not the presidential election on November 8th. The most important thing that happens in 2016 is that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the President of Presidents continues on His throne. Thank you. As we read several weeks ago, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine! There is no election. There isn't even, what are you going to have for dinner tonight? Over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. So, naturally, we all want to know who to vote for. Anybody with me on this? Anybody got questions about who you ought to vote for on November 8th? Those of you who have spoken with me about this know my thoughts, and I'm certainly not going to risk Grace Baptist tax-exempt status by offering you my ideas. And I'm certainly not going to offend half of you by telling you who I might vote for. <laughs> so, I'm going to keep on moving forward in Matthew as if nothing ever happened and go my merry way because the New Testament wouldn't talk about something so banal as 
elections. It wouldn't cover something so mundane as a Christian's relationship to the government, right? So let's just read the next passage that we come to as we read in Matthew. Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 to 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and you teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinions, for you are not swayed by appearances. Boy, that's a load of malarkey from them, isn't it? Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to him, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. My friends, the Bible is chock full of principles for Christians in how we relate to the government. And so, given the timeliness of where we are in our cultural history, and given the serendipitous uh, chapter that we are in in our Matthew, we are going to have a brief series leading up to the presidential elections on November 8th. And if paying taxes to an emperor who is magnitudes worse than either Hillary or Donald, if that's what we are enjoined to do by God's word in Matthew, then not fretting about an election certainly is enjoined upon us as well. However, the discussion about the church's relationship to government does not begin with Matthew 22. At least, that's not how I see it. Instead, I want to, I'm going to let a mud-stained prophet who experienced only two conversions... We only know of two people that Jeremiah experienced conversions with. Eh, perhaps there were more. But in 40 years, we only know of two people who came to the Lord in his ministry. Our Lord, through Jeremiah, nevertheless, gave one of the most important messages concerning our relationship to our, comfort, to our country while suffering a horrific deportation and insult with worse political leaders than is possible for Washington, D.C. or Sacramento, California to produce, believe it or not. And we find this passage. I'm going to chop the passage. But um bum Somebody's got to laugh at that. Come on. I'm going to chop the passage from 4 to 7 in Jeremiah 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. 
multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. The God of the Bible, the Lord of the universe, the King of kings, and the President of presidents is speaking to you through his prophet Jeremiah and through the traumatic experience of having your country destroyed and being sent a thousand miles away. Make no mistake, the God of the Bible is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the President of Presidents. In Daniel chapter 2, it says, The Lord changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Revelation 1.5, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. And in case you miss the importance of those two verses, we go back and we read Romans chapter 13, verse 1. <clears throat> Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority in Sacramento, California. There is no authority in Washington, D.C. There is no authority anywhere on earth except that which is from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Before you leave tonight, I want you to tell me Jesus Christ is the President of Presidents. Jesus Christ is the President of Presidents. He is the One who is sovereign over all things. You don't need to fear November 8th or the 9th, or the 10th. That's right, or next year. God the Son is in control of when and where you are, whenever and wherever you are. So it does no good wishing for the good old days. We are here because the Lord has put us here so let's be here and let's seek the welfare of our city. The big idea tonight is that you and I live in such a way that where we live becomes a better place because you and I are ambassadors of the President of Presidents. Do people around you know or care that you live where you live? Does it matter to them? If the church became illegal tomorrow, would the city of Santa Maria, California know that you're gone? Tonight, as we begin to see what the Bible tells us about our relation to the government, we will learn to consciously live so that the area around you, the city around you, the people around you are better. I'm going to start our passage as I did in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. I want to note that the United States of America is not the promised land. 
the United States of America is not the theocratic land of Israel that we read about in the Old Testament. In fact, there isn't any 100% sure prophecy about the United States except Revelation 18. I'll let you read that later and decide for yourself. And then call me because I'd love to talk about it. (laughs) Nevertheless, the Bible, as I said a moment ago, is chalk full of many passages that relate to God's people and every nation among whom we live. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal here from heaven. I will hear their land and I will forgive their sins. What we see here is the principle of repenting of our self-centeredness. Humble ourselves before our God. Pray and seek God's face. Now perhaps it's too late for us not to enter the exile into Babylon that we are living in today. But God will not fail to bless those who seek Him. And God will not fail to bless those who seek Him as they seek the welfare of the city in which they live. Now, our own passage tonight, along with Second Chronicles, proves the great and gracious hand of our sovereign King. Catch this. Back to verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Allow me to paraphrase this. Read up here as I read. The personal Creator God of the armies of heaven. That is the Lord of hosts. The personal Creator God of the armies of heaven. The God who declared Himself to be the personal God of the patriarchs set the children of those patriarchs of that family into exile. It didn't happen by accident. Molech and Bel didn't figure out how to twist God's arm to get Him to kick His people out. Who sent Israel into exile? The personal Creator God of the armies of heaven. He was in perfect control when they marched. We must understand this or else we're going to get so obsessed by whatever bad news comes on the TV tonight that we're not going to be able to sleep. But Solomon said, the Lord gives His beloved sleep. Whomever it is that wins the election on November 8th, that person will not be the reason that God judges the U.S., The fact that we have the people that we're choosing for this election is proof that we are experiencing already the wrath of God. So, so, as in every aspect of life, you 
and me as the child of the personal Creator God of the universe. As you struggle with your own sin and the sin committed against you, go to the promise that is aimed at God's people whenever and wherever we are. And that is found in Acts chapter 3, 19 and 20. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that He may send the Christ appointed to you. My friends, that's three promises. Repent so that your sins may be blotted out, so that you may experience refreshing, and so that you may experience the coming of the Lord. Then, seek the welfare of your city. Now, one of the United States' own prophets said almost a hundred years ago in light of this verse, have you noticed how much praying for revival has been going on of late? And how little revival has resulted? I believe the problem is that we have been trying to substitute praying for obeying. And it simply will not work. Now Tozer himself would be offended if somebody said that he was equivalent to Isaiah or Jeremiah. And I am certainly not saying that. But here is a man who reflects what God is saying to His people. Pray and obey. Does not God tell us to obey when Peter says here in Acts, repent and turn back? Jeremiah simply clarifies this principle by speaking to a very specific historical situation that I believe is remarkably similar to that which we are experiencing today. And here is how he begins. Here is the practical steps that avoids the devotional dribble or the feel-good freebies that passes for sermons among so many evangelical churches in the United States today. Verse 5. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Wow. That sounds like odd advice in light of our current situation. Look back at what's going on to Jeremiah and his people. Could you imagine a situation in which you would more want to just roll over and die? Your capital is sacked. Your wonder of the world temple is leveled. Your culture is thrown into the scrap heap, the recycle yard. But there is advice for this. In the end, there were three deportations of Jews to Babylon and approximately 10 thousand Jews marched 1,000 miles away from their homeland. That, my friends, is a remnant of a remnant. You think you might want to give up? You think you might want to roll over and die on November 9th? Please, don't say, I'm moving to Canada if so-and-so wins. I always have one answer for anybody who ever says that. What does the personal, 
creator God of the armies of heaven command His remnant? Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Now listen, one of the greatest strengths of the U.S. was a firm belief in this verse. We proved it for almost 200 years. Consistently and persistently, our nation has believed in striving to better ourselves physically and economically and leaving something better for our children. And this is exactly as it should be. But is no more. And as the church, as the American evangelical church has experienced this, we have been in retreat for a long time. We have been content to live in our own cultural ghetto. And so we have ceased living on purpose in exile. And we have disobeyed God while we have prayed fervently for Jesus to return. Remember that praying and not obeying comment? I think Tozer had something nearly a hundred years ago. Seek the welfare of your city. Act in such a way that the welfare of your city looks important to you by all those who are around you. I don't mean to pick on anybody here, but last night, Karenet had a fundraiser. I don't know how much they raised yet. I don't know if anybody knows yet. But we're raising money for women who are living in crisis pregnancies. That is seeking the welfare of your city. Find something that connects to you and join the Lord in it. Seek the welfare of your city. And first of all, begin by living on purpose. Live in such a way that you are productive and respected by those in your community. Why would you just want to live anonymous lives that nobody knows about? Live so people know you and they think, hey, this person wants to do good in Santa Maria or Orcutt or wherever it is. And don't my friends, go into hiding. Don't go into our evangelical cultural ghetto. You and me of all people must not go into cultural hiding. You know why? Because in our future, there is nothing but grace. Whatever it comes forth, from this point to eternity, for those who are in Christ, there is nothing that's coming to you but grace. Woohoo! This is good news. We should be celebrating this and not fretting about who's going to win on November 8th. Live like the end of the world as we know it won't happen because of some terrible political loss. Don't give up. Instead, obey the personal Creator God of the armies of Israel and His command that He continues in verse 6. He says, Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Now I'm going to say something that's going to strike probably a few of you as rather odd. 
And let me preface it by reminding you of the context of Jeremiah 29. Everything was turned upside down. Everything was taken away from them. You want to go buy bread, you know how to do it. You go and your neighbor's baking bread, you go buy some bread. You, you want to shoe your horse, you know how to ask for your sh- horse to be shooed. Once you're in Babylon, um, I don't know. The language is different. The religion is different. The food is different. Everything is different. And you know what? Some of it was just straight up sinful for the Jews to take part in. But this is the key point. Daniel and his friends had to work hard not to defile themselves in their new culture. As do you. But notice what they did. Notice that they did make it in a new culture. And part of what Jeremiah here is commanding Daniel and you and me is to change our culture by making culture. Change our culture by going out and producing something that's good. Because there is nothing more cultural than marrying and having babies. It's the basis of what culture is. And some crazy person who in this world, in this country, with this election coming up, goes and has kids in this kind of messed up situation. How crazy are they? Or worse than that, some crazy person who goes halfway around the world and picks up a baby and brings them into this messed up cultural situation. Who does that kind of crazy thing? Someone who believes... That because our God is sovereign, because our God is loving, we need never give up. Because our future is nothing but grace. Instead of going into your own cultural ghetto, instead of going into hiding because you're not sure what someone's going to say to you, increase. Have children. Give your wives and your your give your sons and your daughters away in marriage so that they can increase live in such a way that your family of believers makes better music than the secular bands around you live in such a way that your neighbors see that you are happier than they are when they have a beer bash on saturday night live in such a way that they see you as more secure than they are when they're fretting over who wins an election to see who will be the under president to the king of kings and the lord of lords now if you're opposed to the, some of the elements in the culture around you, which you should be, rather than consuming that culture in the hour or so before you go to sleep, rather than that, create culture by putting God's Word into practice. You'll sleep better, your neighbors will have a good example, and your family will be encouraged and empowered to seek the welfare of your city. And now we come to the key verse for this passage, for this chapter. Verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. You, my friends, are all exiles in Santa Maria, California, because this is not our home. 
right? So don't be surprised when they start letting men in the women's locker room at the local in-touch fitness center. Lower your expectations of what this world is going to do because this world never was Christian in the first place. And raise your sights so that you are seeing the King of Kings and the President of Presidents. Because you and I are ambassadors to Him. Therefore, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And not political correctness. As such, we are, you and I are to bring a piece of heaven with us wherever we go. Right now, whomever it is that you plan to vote for in November, at this second, it really doesn't matter. Hear me. Whatever, whoever you're going to vote for, even if you haven't decided who you're going to vote for, just hear me for a second. If you're a never-Trump person, if you're a never-Hillary person, if you're a at-least-I'm-not person, whoever it is you quell the nausea in your stomach with, you and I need to bring a piece of heaven down to earth by not allowing our focus to be on the things that the media wants us to focus on. Because it's all a pack of lies anyways. Now your vote on November 8th, by God's grace, does matter. And I am not here to tell you not to vote. I have more sermons in this series. I'm making a peculiar emphasis, a particular emphasis to this, series, this message that I want you to get. But I'm not telling you not to vote. And as you prepare to vote, your attitude both before November 8th and your attitude after November 8th, listen, must be filled with grace and peace. Because that's how the world around you will see the difference that's in you. And you don't have to stress because your future is nothing but grace. So, you can be free between now and November 8th of whatever year you want to pick, to live and to love and eat chocolate. Because chocolate is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. (laughs) Seek the welfare of your city. So the advice that we are given here in Jeremiah 29.7, the command we have from heaven that we see here is the same one that Paul gives us 600 years later. He says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead peaceful, that we may lead peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires that all people, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Listen, you can write this down in your notes. You have three jobs. Your job is to pray. 
Your job is to pray. Don't take what I said earlier from Tozer as a command not to pray. We must pray. And Paul commands us here to do that. Is President Obama on your daily prayer list? Is Hillary? Is Donald? Are the members of the Supreme Court on your daily prayer list? Number two, your job is to live peacefully and quietly according to Paul. Do people look at your social media platform and see someone who keeps their hair short so they don't pull it out? Or do they see someone who is peaceful? Who makes good points? And I encourage you to make good points. But in your making good points, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Jesus. Because He is the one who has made for you a house. He is the one who has made for you a place where you will never have to worry about this again. Number three, your job is to live dignified lives. Do people see you as strong and confident and worthy of respect rather than ridicule because you're voting for Hillary or you're voting for Donald or you're voting for none of the above? Are you worthy of respect because of how you hold yourself in light of what's coming? I said you had three jobs. Really, you have four jobs because... The fourth job is actually the first job which takes all the jobs, and that is your job is to trust Jesus. Because you can't do these other three things if you're not trusting the promises of God for you in Christ. The answer to at least one or more of the jobs that I just gave you for all of us is no I'm not living at peace in all things. No, I'm not being dignified in all of my communication. And no, I don't pray for all of my leaders in government every day. You can't be the American you need to be any more than you can be the Christian you need to be. You will be the man or woman of God that He wants you to be by grace, through faith, with a lifetime of repentance. You live, you die, and you vote by grace, through faith. So what's the answer? As in all things, Christ. Christ is the answer. As we heard this morning, consider Christ. Make him the topic, the ob- excuse me, the object of your thoughts. So then, Greg, what is it that we should consider? We should consider that he is the king of kings and the president of presidents. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. Because as you keep your eyes focused on Jesus, you will keep 
your heart focused on the welfare of your city. Not to consider Christ in this way is to die a slow, painful, despairing death of a fretting Pharisee. Or it is to die a bit at a time because you sell your soul to whatever political affiliation tickles your ear. Resist the temptation of ear tickling from the right or from the left and seek the welfare of your city because in your future there is nothing but grace. Almighty Heavenly Father, we come to You because we are in desperate need for you of You. And Jesus, I praise You that we have such a messed up election this year. I praise You for it because You designed it from the beginning of history and You knew what it would be. And You set up kings and You dispose kings. But most of all, I praise You, Lord, for this coming up election on November 8th because it drives us to our knees. We have no other hope. We have no other possible hope. And Lord, You have encouraged us. You have commanded us. You have entreated us. You have called us above all to live as men and women who have hope in the great God who will never leave us nor forsake us. Bless us with that hope. Bless us so that we will be a blessing and seek the welfare of our city. In Jesus' name, amen.